chapter 4, verses 13 to 22. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to you. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, The son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Word of the Lord. Almighty Father, uh, we read the psalm that you, you promised to be with us in the midst of trouble, and with us in the midst of trouble in such a way that, um, that we're able to look back and, and say that in a deep and profound way, despite the fact that we went through terrible, terrible things, nevertheless, uh, you protected us, you were with us. Uh, we took shelter under your wings, and your wings provided the safety we most desperately and finally needed. Um, Father, uh, that is a beautiful thing to proclaim. It's a beautiful thing to believe. It's really hard to believe. Are you really with us in trouble? When we look at Jesus, Father, we, we see that you are, and we want to see that you are. And we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would, uh, even right now in the next several minutes, Will you uh, reshape our view of you? Will you uh, take away and cut through some of the lies that impede our view of you and our trust in you? And will you grant us so deeply to trust you that we would know a joy in the midst of difficulty and that we would be um, liberated to, to really serve others with freedom? And so now, Lord, help us to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> All right, everybody, take a seat, and uh, please turn back to the book of Ruth. Um, we're finishing the book of Ruth today. Um, we've been looking at this story. It's a four-chapter-long story. If you haven't been with us, um, uh, we'll try to review a little bit of the story as we go along, but this is really the end of it. And what I want to point out to you, there's a bunch of things that the book of Ruth teaches, but here's two that I want to kind of land with. Um, Ruth, as a book, as a story, is designed to uh, do at least two things, more than that, but... but Ruth wants to reshape what it is that comes to our mind when we think about God. And Ruth wants to reshape uh, our understanding of the true path to greatness. Um, let me try to set this up. So there's a bunch of things about the book of Ruth that puzzles me. And one of the things that puzzles me is right here at the end of the story. Um, this is the big finish of the story of Ruth. And if you take a look at it, um, what you have is you have a, a wedding, and you have a wedding night, uh, and nine months later, you have a baby boy. Now, these are not particularly unique events in the history of humanity. You, you with me? Like, these things regularly happen. Um, it's part of how we all happen, you know? 
Um, however, when this child is born, despite how ordinary a marriage, wedding night, um, uh, the birth of a child, despite how ordinary that is, when this particular child is born, this little boy called Obed, the crowd in Bethlehem in this village just goes wild with joy. And actually, it's not just the crowd. It's more specific than that. It's, um, it's so to speak, the Bethlehem Women's Choir. Did, did you see that in verse 14? Just take a look at it. So Ruth delivers uh, the little baby boy, Obed, and that, so to speak, sparks the closing number of the book of Ruth. And all the women of Bethlehem gather around Naomi, that's the grandmother of Obed, and they start praising the Lord together. And I want to know why. Why all the joy? Why the big gospel song at the close? <laughs> and the answer to that story gives part of the key to the book of, of Ruth. Because here at the end, the women of Bethlehem can see something very clearly that is not at all obvious to the rest of us. The women's choir can see that the story of Naomi that we've been talking about these last weeks, and the story of Ruth and Boaz, and the story of this little boy called Obed is really a story that reveals something profound about God. They proclaim here that the main story all along has been God himself. And the joy that comes out of them is a special kind of joy. It's a joy that you see all through the Bible. It's a joy in a deep way that's meant to drive the Christian life. It's a, it's a joy that bursts out when we see that God and his grace and his mercy and his love and his power really is big enough to redeem us and to restore us despite the hell of this world. And when that joy lands upon your soul, it, 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 it provokes praise to God and it changes the way we relate to other people around us. So I want to flesh this out just a little bit by pointing out two points. First of all, God's power is animated by loving kindness. That's what we need to discover about God. And secondly, God's loving kindness redefines our path to greatness. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, first of all, God's power is animated by loving kindness. Now take a look at verse 14 and uh, look at the, the women's choir's uh, first number here. Uh, then the women said to Naomi, here it comes, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Now, uh, keep, keep your eyes there on the, the choir's insight. So the women in Bethlehem can see here that the birth of this little baby boy, Obed, uh, that the birth of this boy, along with all the events that led up to his birth, is something that we can praise God for. It was, all these events were orchestrated by God. And they were orchestrated by God in order to ensure that Naomi, Obed's grandmother, was cared for and that her life experienced restoration. Now, if you, one of the things about Ruth is you read through the whole of the, Ruth, the book of Ruth, as we've done these last few weeks, one of the things that you'll notice is that there are no dramatic big miracles from God. There's no big intervention of God, like the parting of the Red Sea or something like that. In fact, some people read the book of Ruth and they say, really, the book of Ruth has hardly anything to say about God. 
However, the only way that you can come to that conclusion, it seems to me, is if you, if you ignore the women of Bethlehem at the end. Because right here, their insight that says that God is responsible for bringing forth this little boy, and God is responsible for the events that led up to this little boy's birth, their insight about God backfills the whole of the story with God's sovereign power. Now, back up, and let me uh, just remember the story. Do you remember chapter one? It all begins with Naomi. And Naomi is married to a gentleman called Elimelech. Uh, they've got two sons. They live in Bethlehem in Israel. But then, do you remember this? The, uh, just disaster strikes. So the famine hits the land, and famine uh, causes them to, their, their economic life completely falls apart. And so because their economic life completely falls apart in the midst of this famine, they become economic refugees to the next country over, which is Moab. And Moab is not a friendly nation. It's not, they're often an enemy nation, but nevertheless, they have food. And so the family of Naomi uh, become economic refugees there in Moab. They spend many years there. And over the course of the time there, uh, Naomi's two sons get married to Moabite uh, women, one of whom is called Ruth. But the disaster wasn't over yet. Disaster strikes again because Elimelech dies, Naomi's husband, and then her two sons die. And by the end of chapter one, Naomi is left all alone. She is completely destitute in a foreign country, except for one of her uh, daughters-in-law, Ruth, chooses to stick with her. They return to Israel. But as they return to Israel, these two immigrant women destitute economically and socially, um, Naomi, Naomi believes that her life is just over. And, and remember that in that society, a woman with no family was economically hopeless and socially shamed. And so she knows, Naomi knows that she has lost everything. And she changes her name. She changes her identity. Her name was Naomi, which means pleasant. She changes her name to Mara, which means bitter, because that captures the story of her life as she understands it. And the funny thing is, it's not funny. The important thing is, is that Naomi, in that moment, in the midst of her bitterness, she still believes in God. She just doesn't think that God's goodness extends to her. Pause there for just a second. Can you identify with that? Um, it's a very important question to ask, does God exist? Uh, but even if you're clear on that question, there's, a, so to speak, a deeper question of faith, which is, if God does exist, can I trust him? And that's Naomi's question. It's all of our question at one point or the other. Maybe it's yours now. Anyways, the Bethlehem Women's Choir here at the end, they read, so to speak, Naomi's story. And they're able to proclaim how God's power restores Naomi. But the interesting thing is that as you read the whole of the story, God displays his power, not primarily through intervening in big dramatic miracles. Rather, God's power works through orchestrating apparently very ordinary events in the life of Ruth in such a way that Naomi's life is restored. 
So remember, do you remember uh, Ruth and Naomi? They arrive back in Israel. They have no food. And so Ruth, understandably, says, Naomi, I'm going to go out and I'm going to scavenge in the fields of Bethlehem. I'm going to go find a field that is going to allow me to pick up what is left over after the harvest so that we don't starve. And then she goes out, and the text in chapter 2 says, And Ruth just happened to stumble upon Boaz's field. Now, when you read that at first, you're like, yeah, man, that was fortunate. You find out all the way. But the more you read this, the more you come back to that moment, you realize that statement is just dripping with irony. Because the whole of the story is designed to show us that Ruth may have felt like she just happened into Boaz's field. But the reality is that God was orchestrating that apparent chance. He was orchestrating all of it by his power. And it was God's power that uh, caused Ruth to stay loyal to Naomi, despite the fact that almost certainly her loyalty to Naomi was going to lead to her own destitution. And it was God's power that led uh, Ruth to Boaz's field, and then it was God's power that caused Boaz to relate so kindly and, 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 and with such integrity to Ruth, and it was God's power that led Boaz to be willing and, and eager to fulfill the law of the Lord and to marry Ruth and to seek the redemption and the restoration of Naomi. It was God's power that gave Boaz and Ruth the capacity to bring forth this little boy called Obed who would grow up to ensure that Naomi's life was cared for and that the legacy of that family continued. What I'm trying to show you is that God's power runs right through the story of Ruth. But we need to add something there because from the beginning to the end, God's power in Ruth is animated by loving kindness. Everybody say loving kindness. Uh, everybody say hesed. Remember Hesed? We've said it a bunch of times. It's a Hebrew word that's kind of too big to fit into any English word. And so we've said before that you've got to take uh, uh, God's compassion and mercy and grace and love and kindness and all of moral, God's moral beauty. And if you could compress all of that into a single point, you would have Hesed. And for short, we've been using the term loving kindness. And all through Ruth, God's power is animated by this loving kindness. And Emmanuel, it's crucial that we come to see that because this is the reason why you can trust God's sovereignty. When Naomi is at her worst, when she's in the middle of the bitter land, when the grief and the bitterness weighs down upon her, she knows that God is in control, but that is not in itself a comforting thing. She knows that God is powerful, but she doesn't know whether God's power and control is a comfort or a terror. You ever wondered that? And it relates to the question I asked earlier, because it may be that God exists, but a critical, deeper question of faith is, can I trust him even if he does? And at first, Naomi is not at all confident that she can trust God. But by the end, verse 14, the women of Bethlehem gather around her to proclaim to Naomi the real meaning of her story. They gather around Naomi as if to say, Naomi, we've known you since you were a little girl. We knew when you went away and we saw you when you returned. And we know that you came back better. And we know that you have suffered. And in the bitter lands. You were not sure that God is good, or you were not sure that he could be trusted, 
but it's as if the women of Bethlehem gather around and sing to Naomi a song that says, but we can see clearly what has been veiled to you. And what we can see, we proclaim to you, Naomi, that it was the Lord who gave you this grandson. And it was the Lord who used his power to show you his loving kindness. It's as if they say, yes, we know you have suffered, but the Lord was leading you in his loving kindness through all of it. Stop there, let me just point something out. You know, when we're walking through the bitter land, you know what that is, don't you? When you're walking through the bitter land and when life gets horrible and you can't see God's goodness, we need a community that is able to gather around us and who can describe the goodness of God that we cannot see. Emmanuel, we need to be that community. We need to become the women's choir of Bethlehem. They could see that God's power was animated by loving kindness, and they were able to describe that to Naomi in such a manner that she could see it too. And that's, that's part of our job, team. So let's be that community for others, okay? We need to learn to discern God's power, and we need to learn to discern God's loving kindness, and then we need to learn to open our mouths to describe that, that power and that loving kindness to each other and to others who cannot yet see it. And we do that when we pray for each other. And we do that when we're walking with each other and when we weep together. We do that also when we laugh together. We do that as we do community together. Friends, increase your awareness of God's call upon your life to proclaim God's goodness and power and loving kindness to people who cannot yet see it, to one another and to those outside, okay? So the Lord restores Naomi with a power animated by loving kindness. And it's important that we see that that's not just for Naomi. It's actually also true for all God's people. Look back at the reading. Do you see the family tree at the end? Why is that there? Well, Boaz and Ruth, they have this kid called Boaz, or Obed, rather. And Obed's grandson is David, which is super important. Here's why. Do you remember the very first line of the book? The very first line of the book says, all this happened in the days when the judges ruled. Do you remember? Well, the days when the judges ruled was a historical period where Israel, the people of God, who had this wonderful calling to, to, to reflect God's character within their world and, and so that all nations would be blessed through them, the people of God, Israel, in this season, in this historical season, were continually brought to their knees by their own corruption and by their violence and by their uh, misrepresentation of God and by their tragedy. And the whole nation for generations experienced a chronic breakdown. And their chronic breakdown mirrored, in some ways, Naomi's life. And so Naomi's question, how can God restore me? is also the, the question of the nation of Israel. How can God restore his wayward people? And the book of Ruth answers both questions at the same time. God restores Naomi with a power animated by loving kindness. And in the same moment, he does that for the whole of the nation because God used Obed's grandson, King David, to begin to restore the whole of the nation. And it goes further. Because God promised David that one of his descendants would restore not only the people of Israel, but all of the world. And that explains why we are here right now. Obed's greater 
descendant is Jesus. And when you look at Jesus' life, everywhere you look, you will see God's power animated by loving kindness. And the most obvious place that you can see it is when he gives his life on the cross and then when he rises again. But what I want you to grasp right now is that what this teaches us is that for thousands of years, God has been renewing his people through his power animated by the love and kindness. That's how God renewed Naomi, specifically. That's how God renewed Israel in that era. That's how God established the church after Jesus' resurrection. And for 2,000 years since, that has been the manner in which God has restored the church despite countless times when it has fallen apart. That's how God restores his people. And we need to know that because we're living in a moment that needs a lot of restoration. Am I wrong? We need individual restoration, don't we? I mean, I could say because of COVID, but the reality is the deeper reason we need restoration is for all the secret reasons that are known only to you. But our church needs restoration. Emmanuel, we're kind of rebuilding after COVID. And other reasons. There's a lot of grief. And the wider Christian movement in America isn't in its healthiest moment. Is that an understatement? We need restoration. Come from us. It's not going to come from below. Ruth gives us a path to hope. There's no hope in us, but there's great hope in a God whose power is animated by love and kindness and has been so for all eternity and is recorded for thousands of years. So hope in Him. But there's more. God's loving kindness also redefines our path to greatness. Look back at the Bethlehem Women's Choir. They're great theologians. Look at verse 15. Do you see how they describe Ruth? They say that Ruth is better than seven sons. Now, that is mind-blowing in that particular society. Why? Well, remember that this is a super patriarchal society, right? You, every family in that era wants sons. Boys are what the family is after in a great measure. And the number seven was their understanding of perfection. And so the idea of seven sons, that's like the picture-perfect family, man. That's just, but the Bethlehem Women's Choir takes that whole thing and goes, because they say that Ruth, this immigrant widow, this Moabite daughter-in-law is better than seven sons, better than all of that. Now, why? Why is Ruth so amazing? Well, remember, God's love is animated, or God's power is animated by his loving kindness. And keep that in your mind and think about Ruth, because all through the book of Ruth, the character of Ruth is gushing with loving kindness that reflects God's character. It, remember, it was loving kindness that made her return to Israel with Naomi, even though that almost certainly was going to lead to destitution for her. It was loving kindness that made Ruth go out and glean and scavenge in the fields at great personal risk to her life, but she did it so that Naomi would have something to eat. And it was loving kindness that drove Ruth to propose marriage to Boaz, despite the fact that that was completely out of sync with the cultural norm. Everything that Ruth does in the book of Ruth is animated by loving kindness. And what that means is that Ruth's character was continually reflecting God's character. And if God's character is the definition of greatness, then the Bethlehem Women's Choir is right to look at Ruth and say, there is true greatness. 
You see, God restores his people with a power animated by loving kindness. And when that loving kindness lands upon our soul and produces the joy that the Bethlehem choir was experiencing, then it shows us why serving is the true path to greatness, why loving kindness is the character of true success. Now, let me say the whole thing differently. Ruth, all through the story, acts like a servant, and God looks at it and loves it. And Boaz acts as a servant, and God looks at it and loves it. And there are acts of super humble service to each other and to others. There are acts of loving kindness. God looks at these things and he says, yes, everybody, look at my servants. That's the way we roll on my team. My power, it's as if God says, my power is displayed in loving kindness, and I honor the loving kindness in my people because it's a reflection of my own glory. Serving is the path to greatness, despite everything that the world will tell you and despite what your own heart will tell you. And I think that's the reason uh, Obed gets his name. Obed, little boy Obed. Do you notice the choir names him? Verse 17, they give him the name Obed. Why? Well, do you know what Obed means? servant. And the choir knows what's going on. See, the name Obed, servant, captures the path to greatness that his parents took and the path to greatness that his greatest descendant took. Because Obed's grandson is King David, but King David's greater son is Jesus Christ. And Jesus' path to greatness went through perfect service catch the gospel reading? Just flip over to the gospel reading real quick. Jesus, in the gospel reading, he's redefining greatness. He's saying how to use power. And Jesus says, if you're going to be on my team, power, verse 42, power is not meant to exploit. He says, the world assumes that power is used to exploit others. But Jesus says, that's not how things work on my team. Power, for Jesus' people, is a resource to be deployed in the service of others. In other words, whatever power, according to Jesus, whatever power we may have in life, whatever privilege we may have in life, whatever influence we may have in life, it must be animated by loving kindness because that's how God works and that's how we reflect God's character. And despite what it may seem, the humble path of service is going to be the real path to greatness, says Jesus. And Jesus, remember, he's not just talking about um, uh, theory from a distance. He's not a, he's not a theorist that says, all right, now go out and try it, see if it works. No, he puts his money where the mouth is. Look at verse 45. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus talking about himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's talking about his death. When Jesus died upon the cross, in that moment, it, it looked like his path to greatness was a clear failure. But that wasn't true. See, God's power is animated by loving kindness. And on the cross, that was the perfect, ultimate display of God's loving kindness towards his enemies. And because it was the perfect display of loving kindness towards his enemies, it was also the great unleashing of limitless power. Limitless power that reaches out to God's enemies and 
and reconciles us to him, reaches out to those of us who are foreigners, so to speak, to God, reaches out to us and draws us in so that we can be counted among the family of God, so that we can experience and receive true greatness, so that we can receive that reconciliation which transforms us and which gives us a future that lasts all through eternity. Loving kindness was Jesus's path to greatness. And after Jesus rose from the dead, God gave him authority over all things. So here's the deal, Emmanuel. If you want to know, can, I, can you really trust God? Can you really trust God in the midst when everything is terrible and you're in the bitter land? Well, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Because you will never find anyone more loving and more kind or more powerful or more willing to sacrifice himself. And therefore, you will never find anybody more trustworthy than Jesus. And you can look at him and you'll realize that he has walked the dark path that you are walking now and the dark path, the path that you have walked in the past and the dark path that you will walk in the future. You can watch him as he walks in a darkness that is deeper and more bitter than one that you have known. And if he walked that path for you because he loves you, then he won't leave you alone in the midst of it now. And rather he will walk with you as in a sense... Before he was even born as a human, he was walking with Naomi through the bitter land. And he led her to, re to restoration because that's what Jesus does. His power is animated by loving kindness. So trust him. And that trust will be the beginning of Jesus restoring you and this church and the wider Christian movement. And as we trust that God's power is animated by loving kindness, we will find Jesus challenging us, calling on us, and summoning us to a radical kind of life, a radical approach to greatness, a radical laying down of ourselves for the service of his glory and other people. Ruth's path to greatness ran through service, and God displays his beauty in the service and the power of Jesus Christ united together, and God wants us to be a church that is ambitious, ambitious to display that kind of greatness. So look at him. Look at his power. Look at his loving kindness. Look at how they unite and they harmonize. And look how it lands upon your soul. And then let that love and power summon forth from your soul a desire to emulate it in a life of service to the Lord and to others and to each other and to the world. And the Lord will restore. Amen? Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.